Support for this podcast is provided by Cressa. Cressa is the occupier's champion, the world's premier corporate real estate advisory firm, exclusively serving startup businesses and major global organizations alike. As a Portland pillar for over 25 years, Cressa partners with its clients throughout the entire project lifecycle, from workplace strategy and discovery through the deal transaction and project management delivery of space. Cressa partners without conflict and applies integrated expertise to make your business better. Go to cressa.com Portland to connect with the Portland advisory team. From that cast creative, I'm Dan Bruton, and this is the PDX Executive Podcast. A show where I talk with inspiring leaders who are shaping the future of Portland, Oregon. Every week, I sit down with business executives, startup founders, and community leaders to dive into their career journey and get insights into the impactful work they're doing in our slice of the great Pacific Northwest. Welcome, everyone. Thanks for listening to PDX Executive Podcast. I'm your host, Dan Bruton. I'm looking forward to chatting with my next guest who works for a company that I think is still a startup, but has um, really made some waves, not here just locally in Portland, but in the industry. So uh, Bill Pawanka, the Chief Marketing Officer for Xtero. Welcome, Bill. Thank you, Dan. It's great to be here. So, you know, I like to always learn a little bit about, you know, folks' history and things, but you have been at Xtero for a little over seven years. But before that, you were, you know, very much in the tech industry here. So I'd love for you to share a little bit about your background leading up to Xtero. Sure. No, I, um, I've actually, my whole career has been in tech. I got out of college many, many years ago and started working for Oracle. Um, and then I uh, went to business school and came out and, and uh, worked for Intel, which is what brought me to, to mm. uh, Oregon back in 95. Okay. Um, but what I always wanted to do is, you know, even, so back, you know, working for a giant company like Intel, um, you know, I, what I wanted was to be a uh, chief marketing officer, VP of marketing for a software company. And so took the leap and for those people in Portland that, remember the uh, early days of startups. I joined WebTrends um, prior to their uh, IPO. And then after WebTrends just did a series of, worked for a series of different uh, startups. Um, One, I was the fourth employee, it was a company called MeasureCast that uh, Hmm. we we were doing everything right up until the dot-com bubble burst and we had Hmm. a few other uh, things go against us. But Worked for Marant and Serena, um, Ethics Point before it became Navex Global, Janrain. Mm-hmm. Um, so I've had a lot of experience in the tech industry here in Portland. Yeah, it's like you know the web trends thing. It's kind of like uh, you hear about the PayPal mafia. I feel like there's like a web trends mafia. There's so many veterans that have gone to start companies since then, or you know, uh, be executives at. So uh, I didn't know that. That's that's very cool. Yeah, um, no, it was it was a fun time. I mean, that was like I said, it was the original founders and uh, pre IPO. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, well, let's get into Xterra a little bit. For the folks who don't know, you know, I want to learn more about your role there and the team, but um, the company and specifically the the industry that you kind of disrupted seven years ago and how it's maybe matured a little bit too. Sure. So, uh, and, and I'll. I'll be uh, fair. I think Xero disrupted the industry far before I got there. But okay. uh, <laughs> um, it, it's 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 actually a very interesting story from a 
entrepreneurial perspective and, and a, a vision perspective. Um, our company was started by Bobby Balachandran and, and uh, a few of his uh, colleagues. And back at that time, and this was probably 2008, um, and Bobby had worked at some very large financial institutions, uh, insurance companies and banks. And one of the things that he noticed was that the legal department really didn't have um, the maturity from a technology perspective that all the other departments in the organization did. Um, you know, it, he, he looked at it and he saw, you know, okay, you've got SAP or Oracle that are building these platforms for finance, for supply chain, for manufacturing, for application development. You know, you had these really large, it, it wasn't just SAP or, or uh, Oracle, but um, you think about even now uh, Salesforce, what they've done to sales and marketing with their platform. And right. he looked at uh, legal and just said, you know, there's nothing there. So he had this vision of building a platform of different applications that would help the legal department run their operations. Um, what's even more interesting in my mind is that he bootstrapped this. Hmm. So instead of going out and, and raising funding, he self-funded it. And so um, while he had this grandiose vision, he had to focus pretty narrowly on uh, solving a, you know, a couple of specific problems so that he could fund the company. And so they started off with a uh, process engine or a workflow engine, but pretty quickly pivoted to legal hold. Um, and I know it's interesting because we have one of our bigger competitors are also here in Portland, and it's a very mm -hmm. odd kind of coincidence that you have two leaders uh, yeah. in a very niche market. But for the people who don't, don't understand this, um, Anytime there's civil litigation, the law states that you have to both preserve any information related to the dispute, but then ultimately go find that data, collect it, review it. And if it's uh, relevant to the matter, you have to turn it over to your adversary, which is a little bonkers when you think about it. <laughs> yeah. But uh, Bobby started on the, the legal hold part, um, which was really a notification system to, to let your employees or other people involved know, hey, you've got this requirement not to get rid of information. Okay. Um, but then he, ex over time, as, as Xtero had success in the legal hold market, he started building out that platform just for the e-discovery process. So the ability to go search and find the data and collect it and then um, easily review it to determine whether or not it was relevant. And that's really what drove a tremendous amount of success for the company and um, growth. Um, but then back in uh, 2018, Bobby decided to finally take some uh, financial backing. And so we partnered with this awesome private equity company, Leeds Equity Partners. And mm -hmm. one of the things that that's enabled is that we've been able to really uh, accelerate uh, our journey to Bobby's ultimate vision, which is this broad-based platform for all of uh, uh, legal. And so uh, 2019, we bought a company based out of uh, St. Louis that uh, was a leader in the privacy space. 
Because one of the things we've seen with general counsels and, and chief legal officers is their roles have greatly expanded. They're not just responsible today for litigation and providing legal advice the way they one time might have been. Now they have to worry about privacy regulations and complying with governmental mandates. Um, and so we, we went out and bought this uh, privacy company that has just incredible strength in um, data inventory, which means understanding and categorizing all the data that resides somewhere within an organization's infrastructure. And you can imagine mm -hmm. how much data that is and how yeah. complex that is. Um, and then just last year uh, in November, we bought another company that had been in the e-discovery space, but is much stronger on cybersecurity, breach uh, reporting and um, forensic analysis. And so, you know, from uh, these humble beginnings of just a very one product focused company in the legal hold space, we now have this very broad platform and uh, we're just growing like crazy as a result because we're addressing a pretty big problem that, you know, the legal department is just kind of wrapping their heads around and, and understanding now. So it, we're at the beginning of this boom phase in, in our opinion. That's interesting. And is when you're going back to just, you know, the bootstrapping story, but taking the funding, which I think is public, it was for Portland, oh, yeah. a very, very big ground. We're talking nine figures over a hundred million, around a hundred million dollars. Um, for when I, so, you know, when you, you see that, uh, <laughs> you know, this is a serious thing. And, um, yeah, I want to back up and talk about a little bit of the demands of the, the chief legal officers. Cause you might know I run a small event here in town in Portland for general counsels and you know, I'm not a lawyer. I, I you know, I organize this, but I, over the past four or five years, just how their roles, what they're talking about expanding, how they're becoming more of a strategic business leader. But to your point about not just the privacy, but this whole cyber ransomware and all that. So that totally makes sense. And, um, I, I don't know if you have any thoughts as you're talking to customers about some other things as they expand their role. It's it's been pretty wild to to see. Well, it absolutely has, and and what we're offering and and we're creating a new category, and we call it legal GRC. And GRC has been mm -hmm. around for a long time, governance, risk, and compliance. But what what has become obvious is GRC as a category is a very broad. Uh, you know, it, it's the umbrella, right? Mm -hmm. And what you really have are individual department GRC. So you have your finance GRC, your IT GRC, your HR GRC, and legal has to be involved in all of that because when you think about, you know, what are we talking about GRC? We're talking about compliance. So you're complying mm -hmm. with some law. So obviously the role of the GC and the CLO has to expand because they have to be at the table talking with their peers or others in the organization to say, look, this is what's going to be required for you to apply with these various laws or mandates. The interesting thing that we see from a legal GRC perspective is there are laws that the legal department has to follow, right? Mm -hmm. So it's not, you know, we, we make this distinction between the legal aspects of GRC and legal GRC. And, you know, an example would be, um, you know, you think about a uh, uh, you talked about ransomware or breach. So if a company suffers a security incident or breach, you know, certainly not the legal department's role and responsibility to go find the breach, you know, determine the, the scope, um, you know, uh, 
close off the hole that got exposed and you know protect right. the, the organization. I mean, that's clearly the IT or the security group. But because of privacy mandates like GDPR in Europe or now in California, you've got the CCPA or becoming CPRA, they, uh, organizations have a very short time frame in which they have to now report or notify affected individuals. Well, the reporting and notification is clearly a role of the legal department, right? So even though you'd never think of legal as the group that is going to be managing the response to a breach, you think of that as IT or security, they have tasks and activities that they have to do in very short order, right? Mm -hmm. And so it's not just enough to have a you know, a documented response plan that sits on a shelf somewhere, you've got to be ready to jump on this at moments. Oh, because like with GDPR, you have four days. Wow. Yeah. I mean, not to be cynical, but this is a good opportunity for your company like yourself. Right. But, um, in, in this whole category, I mean, I've learned a little bit about just from these events I do of, of legal ops and legal operations. It's like not something that was around six, seven years ago, right? It really um, wasn't. You know, it's, yeah. it's interesting. There's a industry group called CLOCK, the uh, Corporate Legal Operations Consortium. And they throw this really large conference every year. They literally didn't exist six years ago. Yeah. You know, as, as we were a... a presenting sponsor in their first one and it was like you know one or two ballrooms in a hotel in san francisco and now they're renting out the bellagio in, in vegas wow that's crazy that, and it's just yeah. this notion that you know legal as i said never really you know we're, we're, they're certainly not on the forefront of technology adoption mm -hmm, right mm -hmm, I, I remember mm -hmm. being at a uh conference at one point and a GC of a Fortune 500 company stood up and he said, it's easier for me to get unbudgeted $10 million to fight a lawsuit than it is to get a printer for my desktop. You know, and, and what that told me was it's because, you know, that company had very strong processes around procurement, right? So mm -hmm, getting mm -hmm. a, a, a printer for his desktop was difficult. But this notion of we have to spend whatever we have to spend to protect ourselves in the market or in litigation will do well you know the c-suite finally has you know turned their attention to where's the, the money going and they've turned yeah. to legal and they've said look there are a lot of ways that you can apply technology and you can apply process orchestration if you start thinking about the way you do things as business processes right you know you think about this notion of e-discovery the the same things happen every single time now if you know, the scope of it changes. If it's an internal employment matter and it's one employee versus the company versus a, you know, two Fortune 500 companies um, accusing each other of um, intellectual property theft. Well, mm -hmm. sure, the amount of data and the amount of potential employees that are uh, involved are, are different in those two ways. But the, the tasks are exactly the same. You have to identify who's involved, you have to identify, you know, you have to preserve the data, you have to go collect, you have to do all that. And that's, you know, one of the arguments that we've been saying is, look, if you treat it as a business process, then you can m manage, measure, and optimize it. And in the past, a lot of that process was outsourced to uh, legal service providers or outside counsel. And, you know, the C-suite is coming back to the legal department and saying, look, you still have to 
do all the things that we need you to do from you know a legal perspective and protect mm-hmm. us. But you can do it a lot more cost effectively with more control and more visibility and transparency if you bring some of these processes in house. And that's you know gets to that uh, the rise of this legal operations role. And now you're seeing uh, project management certified project managers coming into the legal department where they've never been before. Yeah, and saying, look, we're going to start treating these things as projects, and we have expertise in optimizing this, which drives the efficiency and productivity. Well, let's, let's shift to the business a little bit out here in Portland uh, area. Can you say how many employees you have? Uh, well, worldwide, we're over 500, but a big part of our uh, employee base is in India because that's where we do our uh, engineering. Right. Here in Portland, I think we're over a hundred now. Okay. Um, but you know, with COVID, I haven't seen any of them, so I'm not sure that's even true. Well, let's get into that. I mean, how some, just as a leader, you know, taking, putting on your, your, your leadership hat here, how has it been with all the remote work or just working in software? Anything you can share? Um, surprisingly great. Um, you know, I remember last March and I was reading a lot and I, I finally just told my team, I'm like, look, if you don't feel comfortable coming in, don't. And that was on a Monday morning. And I think by Wednesday, as a company, we'd made the decision to, to shut down. Mm. Um, you know, so there wasn't a lot of preparation, right? It was just, you got to go do <laughs> yeah. this. And yeah. I remember after the first week, I drove our, our I live in Southeast Portland and our offices are out in Beaverton. And Mm -hmm. one night I drove back to the office and I uh, grabbed my monitor and my um, monitor stand because I was getting terrible back aches from being hunched over on my uh, uh, laptop. laptop. Um, But that was the extent, you know, nobody, like we didn't take things with us. We just thought, okay, this might be short term. And, you know, clearly it hasn't been. But, um, my team just adapted incredibly well. Um, you know, we've we've always had some remote because you know, especially with the acquisitions, we've got people mm-hmm. that are in St. Louis. I've got people obviously overseas. Um, with the second acquisition, I now have someone in Chicago and Florida. But here in Portland, we for you know we had a pretty flexible work. Thing. You know, if somebody needed to stay home because of childcare or because of a doctor appointment or something was being delivered, mm. there was no big deal to, you know, my, my feeling is if you do your work and you do it with the quality that we expect and you turn it in on time, I don't really care what hours you work or how you do it. Yeah. But for the most part, we were always together. And, and I think that that definitely facilitated uh, creativity and collaboration. So I was a little nervous, I think, you know, when we went this way, but we really haven't missed a beat. And in fact, we've hired a guy here in Portland, um, never have seen him in person. <laughs> seen him an awful lot on GoToMeeting and Zoom. And so yeah. I can't say I've never met him, but I, right. you know, it's one thing to, to, you know, we do an acquisition and you don't meet the uh, employees for a while because of COVID. Sure. But to have somebody who I think is probably within a couple miles of me and I've never met him, but he's just, crushing it he's he's been an amazing employee and he never got the orientation and Mm. 
I think that's an interesting thing when you talk about leadership is how do you maintain culture when you're not together? Mm. Um, and I, I'm very thankful that the culture we have in our marketing team was so strong that as we brought these new people on and, and they were remote and didn't have an opportunity to kind of, you know, get the culture by osmosis by sitting in, you know, mm-hmm. uh, proximity to, to their peers, that it, it's still just as strong as it was. So what does it look like going forward on that as you go back into the office and yeah we're 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 doing a uh, soft opening so anybody that is vaccinated that uh, wants to come back can come back and and we won't have masks or social distancing um, it's not required and people who haven't gotten their vaccinations can't come back because we can't ensure their health and safety, which is a big responsibility mm-hmm. as an employer. Um, and, you know, I don't know how it's going to go. I think it I think it would be really difficult for me to say, OK, everybody, you must be in the office and let's get get back to it because we clearly figured it out and we're successful over the past 15 months. So um, not that, as I said, not that we were all that stringent to begin with but um i think i'm guessing that there'll be a lot more you know i'll work two days in the office or three days but i don't know this is uncharted water and no one knows and like you're probably like me we're having this this same conversation a lot of people are and anyway that says i've said this before that this is exactly what's going to happen and what we're going to do it's set in stone is I call BS, right? It's just, and it kind of gets to the talent acquisition part a little bit, which I wanted to talk about is, um, it sounds like you're still kind of hiring or brought people on during the pandemic. How's the state of just finding talent? Maybe how does it change with what we just went through and all that in your opinion? Yeah, I guess, I mean, I guess it's maybe you need to, I think maybe my answer needs to be two parts, right? Because if we said we were hiring somebody in Portland, regardless of how often he or she would come into the office, but if we said, okay, this role really needs to be in Portland. To me, the, the state of talent acquisition really isn't different than it's been over the last 20, 25 years here in Portland. And, and what I mean by that is, you know, it used to be, and it used to frustrate me so much, but, you know, being with a software startup is you'd hear, well, the, you know, VCs won't invest in Portland and there's no good leadership and there's such a small talent pool. And, you know, I call BS on that. There's a great talent pool. Now, there's a bell curve everywhere, right? I mean, just basic yeah. statistics, you're going to know that there's, you know, a most of the people are going to be in the middle and then you're going to have some amazingly talented people on the right hand side. You're going to have some amazingly untalented people on the left hand side. You know, so if you think about, you know, Seattle or the Bay area, there are more people there, right? Right. So there are going to be more a players by count, by quantity, but at the same time, there's also a lot more competition for those people. Right. And much less competition, by just sheer quantity here in Portland, but I've never had problem finding A players, you know, or, or B plus players in Portland. You have to have a really good uh, network. I, I think mm-hmm. you need to have a good reputation. I mean, if 
if you blow your reputation in Portland, the word it's gets over. around, right? <laughs> yeah, is, yeah. Um, <laughs> you know, you, you, but, and you need to have a good hiring process and, you know, understand kind of what your key characteristics are. Cause it's not just, can they do the job, right? There's, there's cultural fit and, um, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. you know, not that I've hit a hundred percent on all my hires because I certainly haven't, but I've, in my career, I've built some amazing teams with some really top people and, you know, they didn't come out of Harvard business school or, you know, um, have kind of the, the pedigree that, that some people only look at. I mean, it, but when you find the great people, I mean, it's awesome. Now the second part is, I don't know what it will look like in six months when I get another opening and, and we say, where is that located? And we yeah. say, well, we don't really care. Right. You know, it, it could be Texas, it could be Ohio. It, you know, um, I, I, you know, I'm, I'm, I am old and I'm reminded of that more often than I'd like. And so I, I have a, I think a, predisposition to wanting people to be in proximity with one another because I've mm-hmm, seen it mm-hmm. succeed both from a cultural perspective, but as I said, the creativity and the collaboration and the communication. And, you know, if you're sitting across from somebody in a, you know, in a queue, you can tell if they're joking or if they're mad where email and yeah, text, true. you might not yeah. get that. But again, uh, it's going to be difficult for me to be adamant about that when I've seen the success that my team has had over the last 15 months. Yeah. And that's what I'm hearing a lot too. Um, so it's, I'm very positive about Portland. And as we kind of wrap up, I always like to ask, especially someone like you that's professionally been in Portland for a while and seen a lot of growth here. What, what's kind of your thoughts in regards to this business, um, our region? growing with startups, just bigger companies moving here. And I don't know this past year probably affected how that might look too, uh, as far as the remote work. Um, but I don't know if you have any thoughts you'd like to share about that too. Yeah. You know, again, I don't know. Right. Um, yeah, I gotta be honest. Uh, driving downtown is a little scary these days, not, you know, from a physical threat perspective, but, you see the trash, you see the boarded up buildings. Um, and then I start thinking about some of the conversation we've had already, which is what if businesses don't need all that office space? Mm -hmm. And now Mm -hmm. you've got the people that are, have the restaurants and the stores and they don't have the foot traffic. Um, as far as overall business, I, I mean, what I'm seeing in the economy, what I'm hearing, you know, across all of our customers and prospects is, things are looking pretty strong. And mm-hmm. I still think Oregon is an amazing place to live. You know, I think Portland's got got to figure some things out because mm-hmm. some of the shine is off the apple, but I also yeah. believe that we can get that shine back on. Um, and you are seeing, you know, as much as, you know, we may myopically be looking at the issues around Portland, it's not like, the other major metropolitan areas don't have their own issues and um you know costs are going up in portland but nothing like the bay area right and yeah seattle's got their issues and, and i i think you'll still see an influx of people because this is just a great place to live there's you know it's a good quality of life there are good people here um yeah so if you're if you can work remotely why would you not want to live in 
Portland or in Oregon. Agreed. Uh, let's end on that positive note because I feel the same way. And there's a lot of times I'm, you know, I'm going around the state. It was just in Bend and at the coast, and it's like, I just love it here. There's so much yeah, to offer. Exactly. So, um, well, Bill, appreciate you hopping on. And where where can people find more about Xero and maybe connect with you if you're open to it? Oh, sure. I mean, obviously, it could be the standard answers, right? You can learn more about yeah. Xero just going to the web. Um, but I'm on LinkedIn and. You know, happy to uh, network with anybody who's interested in learning more or just, you know, making another connection. So uh, look me up and uh, reach out. Be happy to talk with anyone. Sounds great. Thanks so much, Bill. Yeah, thank you, Dan. The PDX Executive Podcast is a production of ThatCast, a Portland, Oregon podcast agency that partners with brands to create custom podcasts. You can learn more at thatcast.com. And please take a moment to subscribe and rate the podcast as well. Thank you.